The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening, listeners. You've just heard Club Integral and you're now listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Emma. This is Catherine. And also our fellow loose women. Hi, I'm Leo. Um, And we're really excited to be joined by Laura and Eliza from the English Collective of Prostitutes, uh, who campaign for the decriminalisation of prostitution, as well as for sex workers' rights and safety. So we're talking about the real effects that the current laws in the UK have on sex worker safety, and we'll be looking at alternative models of prostitution law reform. Before we talk about any of that, I just thought I'd uh, throw in a sex work classic there, which is Donna Summer with Bad Girls, wonderful song, a little disco treat we just heard, kind of brought to mind for me the kind of No Bad Women, Only Bad Laws campaign, which I think you guys are part of. Nice slogan, yeah. How did you feel about that song? I thought you had you were going to decimate it, you said, while it was playing. <laughs> yeah, although I just thought Peen had an amazing point, which is that the whistles do represent the aggressive, antagonistic, harassing presence of the police, the little whistles in the background. Yeah, definitely. And also, you want to run, right, when you hear them? Yeah, absolutely. Run, kind of dance, but also kind of run, maybe both at the same time. But also when she says they come from near and far, also kind of reminds you of the way sex work legislation is used to criminalise people's migrations. So... <laughs> Way, yeah, and perfect, also there's track. you know a huge range of people who are involved in sex work. They come from near and far. It's true, Emma. I think it was a really relevant and valuable song to be listening to. Before we kind of talk more about the English Collective of Prostitutes' work and, and what you guys are campaigning for, I just thought we'd start, as usual, with a gripe. So has anyone got a gripe? You know, a small moan of the week. I've got one. Of course. Go on. <laughs> I've always got a gripe. I don't really have... We, we do mini celebrations sometimes as well. We always say, have be, you got a gripe or mini celebration? But no yeah. one chooses mini celebration. We don't push the mini celebration because we prefer griping. My, my gripe is when, you know, when you're grilling something, you have to turn it quite high for it to cook quite quickly, especially if it's a thick Oh, literally item. grilling. I thought you were like... <laughs> I, mean, I mean food um, under the grill. When you're grilling something especially if it's quite thick, like, for example, a potato waffle, you have to have it on quite high for it to really make a dent, especially if you're aiming to do it in under 15 minutes, which is, so like, really time. But that moment where it's not even remotely cooked, 
is about one second until it's then really burnt and you've almost set fire to the oven. So I just keep burning things. So I've got through six pitters that I've burnt in the last 24 hours by not focusing on the grill because within a minute it's gone from nothing to charcoal. It's pitiful. Toast that pitter. Oh, nice. But toast that pitter as well. I, I don't say. have a toaster at the moment. Wow, that's the real gripe here. No toaster. You know what? I've got mini celebration. Go on. I got like a three weeks sort of traineeship today. So I'm, I mean, three months, three months. I'm, I'm underplaying my successes. I'm very happy. I, I very rarely get awarded jobs, and this is almost one of those. Awarded oh jobs? Nice. Congratulations on your new job. One. Okay, yes, congratulations. Well done. Uh, what about you two? Any gripes or, or celebrations, as is another theme? No, I have many gripes, but they're all against the government, so I'm not sure I'm allowed to say any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Cleverly <laughs> dodged that one, Ofcom. Um, wonderful. Okay. Uh, Eliza, do you have a gripe you want to share? I've got a celebration, actually. Go on. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a bit crude, um, but I pulled an amazing whitehead out of my ear this week. Yeah, I didn't know it was there. I was just having a scratch, and then all of a sudden it came out perfectly. So I guess it was a blackhead, because they come out a lot neater than whiteheads. Sorry, wow. yeah, it was a blackhead, but yeah. <laughs> oh my very gosh, so That's and probably connected to the government. And that felt, good, reminded yeah. me of Theresa May when I took it out and I scratched it out. <laughs> did it Did it feel really satisfying? Uh, was it a satisfying sensation? Yeah, it was incredibly satisfying. It was beautiful. I hung on to it for about 20 seconds afterwards. I had a look. Did you show it to anyone? Um, I showed it to myself a few <laughs> times. But after, no, I flicked it away at some point. <laughs> okay, so thank you for joining us, Laura and Eliza. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about who are the English Collective of Prostitutes? Maybe you can also explain a little bit about why you use those terms. So maybe explain why it's a collective and also the use of the word prostitute versus sex worker, which is maybe more commonly heard on these airwaves at least. The English Collective of Prostitutes is a organisation of sex workers, former sex workers and supporters. And we've been going since 1975. And we are women um, and sex workers who have worked on the street and in premises and in all different kinds of areas of the sex industry from many different backgrounds, races, nationalities, um, based here in the UK. Um, the name, it, the English Collective of Prostitutes, is from 1975. So the, the two migrant women that started the English Collective of Prostitutes were inspired by the French Prostitutes Collective, as they were at the time, who in 1975 occupied a church uh, after there had been, uh, there was a serial murderer on the loose in Lyon and hundreds of sex workers occupied the local church in protest that nothing was being done about the serial murderer. And um, so they did that and it kind of sparked the... uh, movement at least in Europe um, of sex workers to organise and get together and become uh, more prominent I guess and kind of demand rights and safety so the two women that started the ECP they were both migrant women and they were in England so they decided with English that's where that comes from Um, they started (laughs) just so people know the collective came from uh, the French prostitutes collective who were who were organising we wanted to organise collectively we do organise collectively so none of us are kind of in charge of a particular piece of work we all work on things together we all share um, different aspects of the work that we do and we all are accountable to each other and 
you know none of us are in it for money and career I guess you know what I mean it's not it's not that it's a it's a collective effort um, for rights and safety and the prostitutes I mean it came from the 70s which is what the, the phrase sex worker wasn't used back in 1975 we've kept it because we've had conversations about name changes many 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 times and never come up with a but actually our biggest problem is actually the English it's not particularly the collective of prostitutes it's the English thing but all the migrant women in our organisation don't particularly have a problem with it so we just kind of kept it for now we can't think of anything else better we do go still though even though sex worker has been invented and is a very is a fantastic phrase because it does include the word worker so implies that it's work and also includes a lot more people in it who are not necessarily working on the street or in premises but are strippers or webcamming or escorts or whatever would see themselves possibly as a sex worker but not necessarily a prostitute um but we use both. We want to keep prostitute because it has the kind of stigma of the law attached to the word. And as long as prostitution is illegal, we want that to be in people's minds so that they associate it with criminalisation so we can use that to overcome the criminalisation, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit about the demographics of people in sex work and maybe the types of common misconceptions about sex workers that you come across every day? Yeah, sure. So the kind of demographics of our network um, is kind of firstly mothers, mostly single mothers, working to put food on the table, pay the rent, kind of day-to-day stuff. Um, A lot of... uh, It's mostly women in our organisation, but we, you know, we work with everybody. But it is mostly mums, I would say. And what I would say is, yeah, it's to kind of make ends meet, really. And I think that most people either not don't have, not most people have another job, but a lot of people have another job. So are working alongside topping up low wages and other jobs or low benefits. Um, and for most uh, people in our network, it's a kind of job that's a better choice than the kind of other sets of choices that you have Um, but also uh, it's a way of earning more money in less time than other jobs as well. I think another misconception about sex workers that also ties into the idea of the kind of demographic is that most this is actually a, a fact is that the majority of sex workers working in Europe today are migrants and there is a a sort of oft repeated fact that um, a misconception I shouldn't say fact because it's not one but it's an alternative fact maybe that the majority of sex workers have also been trafficked and with that kind of relationship between the idea that most of most of the migrant sex workers working in Europe have been trafficked you see a kind of real a real kind of relationship between the way that sex work and migration are both policed and you see trafficking used as a really broad brush term that is sort of used not to protect or provide support for actual victims of coerced sex work. So I think that's, that is worth saying. Uh, from my perception of um, reports in the media, and I'm, I'm also thinking about places where, so for example, the area of Leeds called Holbeck, where prostitution has been decriminalised, there's been a lot of coverage around uh, the types of people doing sex work there. And overwhelmingly a lot of it focuses on this idea that the majority of people have gone into it because they're 
you know, they're drug addicts or they have some horrific trauma or they've been kicked out of home very young. How much does that stand up to scrutiny in, in the kind of research that you guys have seen? The usual misconceptions, I mean, there are kind of wild ones, like 95% of sex workers are on drugs, which is just grossly untrue and comes from untrue on a national scale. The figures like that are from projects where all the service users are drug users and therefore, obviously, you get a... A figure like 95% from that. The same with the average, another kind of common misconception is the average age of entry into sex work is age 13. That's a kind of international figure. And that has been widely, you know, it's completely untrue and uh, again is taken from, what do you call it, where it's like a a data where everybody is under 18 so, so obviously you come already. up with a figure of the average age is 13. And then in terms of, uh, what was the last thing you said about um, being in care and... And having heard extreme that trauma yeah. and, you know, because someone is mentally not able to make the own decision, their own decision, which is what I extrapolate from that, this idea that people are, are doing it who don't have the capacity really to choose because they're, they're addicted to drugs or they've been... You know, they, they've yeah, the thing about the care system, as far as I can remember from our fact and fiction sheet, is that that I don't think that we have any... I don't think that... I think it's the same as the other two, which is that it's taken from a particular sample because we li- we've looked into all of the kind of general misconceptions. Um, but also, I think we kind of wanted to add a bit of comment onto it, which is, well... What is the comparison with other jobs? You know, nobody asks other jobs what proportion of their uh, kind of people were in care or anything like that, you know, and I think we wanted to add that comment. And then the thing about the post-traumatic stress disorder, which is that most sex workers end up with post-traumatic stress disorder, that figure has been completely discredited Mm. and been found to be completely unsubstantiated. Basically, it's just a wild claim that the author, Melissa Farley, who is an academic based in the US, just made up essentially. And she was actually, uh, there was a court case in Canada where sex workers took the laws to court essentially to try and overturn them to try and prove that they were against the constitution because they put them the sex workers into danger and Melissa Farley this academic tried to give evidence to that court case and was refused on the grounds that she was not um, considered a good enough uh, witness yeah reputable witness basically so a lot of the figures come from her. And also, in any case, whether or not you're looking at um, sort of misinterpreted data or data that's taken from kind of like un- unworkable statistics, what's apparent is not that fully decriminalised sex work would increase coerced sex work and exploitation when it does happen, but more that it would um, support people who have or have been or are being coerced, foster their protection by authorities, and uh, specific policies about coerced sex work could be developed. We should maybe just talk a little bit about that. So, like, what are the actual aims of ECP? You're talking about decriminalisation. Can you maybe explain what that would really mean? And also, kind of, what are the what is the current legislation around prostitution in the UK? It's a big question. Um, <laughs> so, the current legislation. So, I'll, I'll do the current legislation, and then basically, what we want is to 
remove that legislation from the books. So the the main legislation that is used against sex workers is the um, loitering and soliciting, which is impact sex workers on the street, um, brothel keeping, which is two or more sex workers working from premises, um, controlling prostitution, which sounds like a terrible offence, but it's not. It doesn't include force and coercion or anything like that. It's just basically if I say, OK, well, I work on a Tuesday and Wednesday and you work on a Thursday and Friday, that's controlling prostitution. And it's used a lot against sex workers working together. The same with brothel keeping, used against sex workers working together. Um, loitering and soliciting, um, how that actually impacts sex workers in practice is that uh, the police kind of do mass arrests on the street which is called a kind of crackdown on prostitution in order to kind of move prostitution along or get rid of it in the area and so they kind of arrest or give out either hundreds of cautions or uh, arrest people over over and over again for loitering and soliciting and all that does is force sex workers kind of into other areas into unknown areas out of sight from the police um, and kind of having to speed up negotiations much more quickly and dangerous things happen as a result so mm. can you kind of explain to us or maybe give examples even of kind of any cases which might show the kind of obvious flaws in this legislation like in terms of you know for example like brothel keeping as a way of you know being safer like can you talk about those kind of examples yeah sure so for example um we fought a case of uh, loitering and soliciting where the um in order to be arrested for loitering and soliciting you have to be given a prostitute caution so you have to be given two cautions and then you're arrested for loitering and soliciting so for example one woman was given a prostitute caution a prostitute caution is different from any other kind of caution so it's different because you can't appeal it um, you don't have to accept it so basically the police just give it to you and it's on your record and we have we're working with one woman where it actually said on her criminal record it will be on there till she's 100 years old so basically she's got a record for prostitution until she's 100 which prevents people from getting other jobs essentially because if you want to do any other job where you have a kind of criminal records check then the prostitution comes up it obviously prevents you if they have a criminal record it also reduces their chances of getting other work and kind of forces them to stay on in the path of um, sex work which you know if they want to have other options they don't get the opportunity so you get that first and you can't the fact that you can't appeal it is very cruel because it means that you can never actually try and get it off your record um so you've got that straight away and then and then you get arrested for uh, loitering and soliciting so for example one woman was arrested while she was so loitering and soliciting you know is standing on a street corner um asking people for sex in, in exchange for money or kind of you know, loitering is standing around, basically. Um, so it's a bit, you know, which people do get arrested for once you're kind of known as a kind of sex worker in the area. You can just be standing there and you'll get arrested for loitering and soliciting. So one woman was walking home um, with her friend, um, not working, and was arrested for loitering and soliciting. Another woman was wa waiting at a bus stop, was arrested for loitering and soliciting. Terrible things, that, like the police abuse their power. So for example, example, uh, one woman who was walking with her friend who her friend was about to start working.
working and had condoms on her, the police said to the other woman who wasn't working, if you don't say the condoms are yours, we're going to arrest her for prostitution. You know, they just kind of play with your head and are very corrupt. Those are kind of examples of on the street. So in terms of kind of decriminalisation, what does that really mean? And can you tell us a bit about the kind of New Zealand model, which I think has been proven to be effective and that is the model you're kind of looking at? Because I think a lot of people have been talking about the Nordic model and maybe you can tell us a bit about the differences. Yeah, sure. What we mean by decriminalisation uh, is just removing those laws that I was just talking about. So removing loitering and soliciting from legislation, um, removing brothel-keeping legislation, which, again, is two or more sex workers working together, and the controlling legislation, which is also mostly used against sex workers working together um, from premises. It doesn't include force and coercion. It's just a kind of arrangement of a flat basically which obviously you have to do somebody has to do in order for it to function you know like who's working on which day who holds the keys whose name is on the tenancy all that kind of information is used against you it's used as evidence against you if you're arrested for brothel keeping and kind of to clarify as well like the things that you're talking about like brothel keeping or like working in a premises with someone or like maybe sharing a flat and both of you operating out of it those things are probably safety measures yeah so the fact there's laws against them takes away the kind of safety measures and kind of pushes you out into working on your own yeah working on the street instead of working together yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. so for example at the moment there are a lot of raids against sex workers working indoors even including premises that have been there for a long time and the police have known about it for a long time and um, but are suddenly raiding after many many years we've actually fought a few cases like that recently where the premises has been there for like 20 years and um, never been touched and now suddenly are being raided. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how you're kind of pushing this decriminalisation campaign and maybe how people can get involved. Yes. Well, we have had uh, success recently. So, for example, Amnesty International um, published their recommendations for decriminalisation and then the Home Affairs Select Committee also published their recommendations for decriminalisation. So there's lots you can do. You can write to the current Home Affairs Select Committee encouraging them to stick to their original proposals. Obviously, the general election will mean that who's on the Home Affairs Select Committee will change, probably. But we're also encouraging people to... To, um, write to their candidates uh, in the general election to ask them what they think about decriminalisation, where do they stand, um, say that it's an important issue for you, um, sign our pledge for decriminalisation, which is on our website, pledgedecrim.com. We can send you copies, you can write to local organisations asking them to sign, there's lots of things that people can get involved with. Great, and I think something else that maybe we should also bring up is the fact that something that keeps on getting repeated is that sex workers don't get consulted on these changes. So maybe you can talk about how you're pushing that they are being consulted. What are you? Or how can we do that? (laughs) Uh, We definitely are. For example, the Home Affairs Select Committee, which is kind of the most recent parliamentary kind of inquiry into prostitution, where we were not consulted, actually. Um, We were not invited to give what they call oral evidence or and sex workers in our group were not invited, despite us writing and saying we want to give evidence to your committee. But we did a big piece of work helping sex workers um, in our network give written evidence. So, you know, answering all their questions, 
you know, making sure that sex workers' voices were heard. We did a big mobilisation amongst our network, encouraging people to write to the Home Affairs Select Committee supporting decriminalisation. And in fact, their original uh, kind of terms of inquiry were very biased against us. And we did a big mobilisation and their recommendations were actually fantastic and recommended decriminalisation. So we did manage to turn it around. Mm. So I just wanted to include a kind of sex worker testimonial. Um, I was kind of looking at the campaign Make Mum Safer, which I think has some links to ECP, your kind of your decriminalisation campaign. And I think, you know, as we've also said already, that the majority of sex workers are mums. So the kind of idea behind Make Mum Safer is to bring that information to the public and get people to think about sex workers as real people who are you know trying to support families and that is the the main one of the main reasons why people go into sex work so um they've got a testimonial here which i think is really interesting because i think it helps us it helps to kind of hit home some of the things we've been talking about about why the current laws just aren't working and the kind of reality of those laws for people who are sex workers they've got a couple of different sex worker testimonials on their website but because of the laws around sex work, they have, have um, actually they've used celebrities to tell these stories uh, so that people don't have to use, you know, to, to give people some level of anonymity. We'll be hearing from two different people, Joanna. Works in a brothel and Jenny, who is a mother who's been arrested. And I think this kind of gives us a bit of insight as to the kind of reality of these laws on people's lives. Mine's like a, a cooperative where we all help each other. Um, we all leave together. We'll come in in the morning together and we do not go out of that building. So we're all very helpful to each other. We're all very considerate. You know, we don't have any any bitching. We're not out. We're not pimps. We're not taking money home to men. Nobody in that flat has a, a boyfriend or a husband. We're aged from 27 to 56. Well, the, the way that I look at it is uh, the girls are independent because they're on independent sites and they have their own rooms. So Wendy has one room and Chelsea has the other. They, they don't swap over those rooms. Those are the rooms for that day. So if the police did turn up, then I'm registered on one of those sites. But I would be just like the girls. I, I could get prosecuted. If it were decriminalised, every girl could pay tax, every, every girl could get a mortgage... Every girl could have a bank account, be able to, to put money into the bank account and be able to rent a flat in their own name. We'd, we'd have no more meetings in hotels where girls could be raped. And In fact, you get arrested, you go to court, you get a fine. That's another night I've got to go back out on the streets and earn money. So as I say, the police, they put you at risk in a way. You could actually say, <laughs> they're my pimp <laughs> through them. Through being arrested, I actually have to put myself at risk again by going on the streets. It's dangerous. We try and eliminate as much of the danger as possible. Every time I'm out or every time somebody sort of approaches us, we have to judge and make sort of split-second decisions on who we'll go with. And then I would say also, if you want to support, just um, look up the situation with decriminalisation in New Zealand, shout loud about it to your family and friends, uh, go on and on about organisations who have committed to decriminalisation, like Amnesty, The Lancet, the World Health Organisation, just scream about it. And also, do you guys have a website or a Twitter that you want to plug? Yeah, prostitutescollective.net and or at prostitutescoal. Okay, so great. Keep in touch. I think that's all we have time for. It. So uh, thank, thank you very you. much for coming thank on. You. And so much. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you very much. We're at VLW Radio if you want to tweet us ever, anyone. Yeah, and we're back next week. UK